God questions. Most of us have God questions. Things that we wonder about. Things that in our minds are unclear. Things that can be confusing. Things that seemingly are contradictory. Things that just don't make logical sense. The older I get, and the more mature I become in my faith, I seem to have a lot more questions than I have answers about you are. So I was taking my girls basketball team to a camp one summer, two and a half hours away from where we were. I had four girls in my car, the rest of them were divided up in minivans, their parents were taking them to the destination. and. And, um, you know, I kind of knew what to expect. You know, high school girls, there's only two things they want to do in the car. They want to control the music. And they want to talk. Now, sometimes those things clash with one another. Because the music's so loud, they have to just talk louder. But I knew it wasn't going to be a peaceful trip. It was going to be a lot of conversation going on. But the kind of conversation that went on was not what I anticipated. For two of the two and a half hours... Not long after we got started and not long before we ended, they peppered me with questions. Not boy questions, not parent questions, not school questions, and not basketball questions, but faith questions. And more specifically, God questions. They wanted my perspective on a host of God questions. And most of them had attended faith-based schools for their entire education. They attended worship faithfully. They took religion classes every year at their school. Their parents were faithful in their attendance and membership. But they still had questions. Good questions, tough questions, difficult questions, hard to answer questions. It really wasn't that peaceful of a ride. God questions exist for those those of us who are not Christ followers as well as for those of us who are Christ followers. For those who are not Christ followers, we hope that that these messages over the next several weeks will put some things in perspective and, and answer some of your God questions. For those of us who are Christ followers and think that we really don't have any God questions, well then maybe what we're going to do here on Sunday morning worship will help you answer questions that people present to you. But let me say from the very offset that on behalf of Greg and myself, we aren't presumptuous presumptuous enough to believe that we can provide complete resolutions to all of these answers in the time allotted every single Sunday. And quite frankly, what we're going to do in this series of sermons, even though we're going to answer some of the questions, may only leave us with more questions instead of answers. So today's question is, what is God really like? And to try to understand that, we're going we're gonna to use two scripture passages, one from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, and then one from um, 1 John chapter 4, 16, which we've already used uh, a little bit earlier in the service. But this is from Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then from 1 John chapter um, 4, verse 16, let's read these words together to reinforce them in our mind. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So what is God really like? What's your image of God? If you were to leave here this afternoon and engage in a conversation with your neighbors and they ask you that question, what would you say? You know, what is God really like? And my guess is that our ideas about God are influenced by a lot of different things. For instance, what were we taught about God when we were younger? What did we learn about God as a child? Were we involved in the life of a church? Did our family talk about God? Did I take catechism classes? Did that shape my opinion about God? Did I have experiences that shaped my opinion about God? I mean, do I uh, view God, for instance, as like a cosmic policeman who watches every move that I make and makes sure I follow all of the rules, and when I don't follow the rules, he hands me out a ticket or punishes me in some way? Is that my view of God? Do I think of God as um, like a gigantic vending machine where if I I put in the right amount of change and push the right buttons, I'm going to get exactly what I want out of that vending machine? Or do I think of God as a grandfather, Uh, which, by the way, for those of you who aren't keeping track, today is Grandparents' Day. So there, let's hear it for grandparents, right? Come on. That was for my kids who are watching by live stream and my granddaughter. So... Don't forget Grandpa on Grandfather's Day, but don't bother me during the Bears game. Okay. (laughs) Maybe we think of God as a heavenly grandfather who's there to answer all your questions and solve all your problems and protect you from all the hurts and hard knocks of life, make our lives warm and safe and comfortable, help us to get out of trouble. That's what grandparents do. Or maybe you think of God as a heavenly tyrant. God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, without consideration of the impact it would have on anybody else. The God who is easy to know because he is always against everything that is fun and pleasant and interesting. Or perhaps your view of God was um, formulated by circumstances or an event or a situation in your life, right? Maybe something tragic happened. And you wondered how a loving God could let that happen. And that has changed your view of God from then on from someone who was loving to someone that you couldn't even figure out. Or maybe, as I've heard some people say, you grew up in a Christian home. Mom and dad were very devout Christians. They went to church every single Sunday. But once they went inside the home and the doors were closed, there was verbal and emotional and even in some cases physical abuse that took place and you wondered about this God that they were so dedicated to that would let that happen. All these images on the screen and there are lots more depict someone's idea of God. And some of you again, seriously, Morgan Freeman, he may be the best depiction of God on the screen. Who knows? You might go to heaven and meet a God who looks exactly like Morgan Freeman. At least if he talks like him, I'll feel better. (laughs) 
We're told that what we know about God is perhaps the most important thing we can know in life. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. What we think about God is the most important thing we can think about. And so we think about God based on Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so God, we have, the God of the Old Testament is the God who reveals himself to people and through those people to other people. He gives messages to prophets, prophets and preachers and others pass it on to the nation of Israel. And that's how we came to know God, not only through those words that the prophets spoke, but through the actions that God took and the way people use people. But, you know, we're not the brightest bulbs in the box when it comes to thinking about God. We didn't quite get it. In fact, we have this great ability to distort something good and to make it something it's not even meant to be. And that's exactly what we do with the image of God. Or we even ignore him. So because we didn't get it, God became one of us. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Subtlety is overrated. So he sent God to be one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. We know God through his revelation. And that's the only way we can know God is through, not through things, our, our ideas, not through things we make, but through his revelation, through the scriptures, the word and the living word, the person of Jesus Christ. So what do we know about God? Theologians have a term for the qualities of God uh, that we use, and it's called the attributes of God. And we divide these attributes into what's called um, communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. And that means this, that the communicable attributes of God are, are attributes of God that you and I can share in. We have these attributes too. God is kind, you can be kind. God is gentle, you can be gentle. These kind of things are communicable attributes that God has that we also have. Then there are incommunicable attributes, things that are unique to God himself that we don't have for us. And so these incommunicable attributes are going to be our focus this morning. God is a mystery. We're not going to have it all figured out by the time we're done this morning, nor will we ever have it all figured out. But God is a great mystery, and God works in mysterious ways. So what I want to say first is not found in any theological book. There's no list of attributes that begins with this one. But this is where I'm going to begin, and that is that God is scary. Not in the sense of wanting to frighten us, but in kind of the mystery of God. In a book entitled God Made Simple, the authors write, we are more at home with our own ideas about religion, with thoughts that are more comfortable and reassuring, with a God who is rather like us, and who can be brought into line with our own expectations. This God is a domesticated God, like a religious pet, 
rather than the wild, untamed presence of the Almighty. So if someone said to you this afternoon, what is God like? Would you say, he is wild and untamed. He's the most, he, you would say, oh, he's gentle, he's kind, he's loving. You could put him in bed with you at night and just pat him, it's great. We never, we've lost the idea that God is wild and does things out of our expectations. Doesn't mean he's mean, but it does mean he's very mysterious and not predictable. But we've so domesticated God that we feel that we can explain him to everybody at all times. And we forget that God is a mystery. So first of all, God is omnipresent. God is always with us and always near us. There's no place to run and hide from God. God is not limited by ideas of dimension or space. I mean, we have boundaries in our lives. You are here this morning. You're in this building. You're in this room. You can't be anywhere else but right here. And you're glad for that because your kids are downstairs and someone's with them. That's good. But we're right here. We can't be anywhere else. We're limited. God is everywhere at the same time. God is in this room right now. But God is also at Messiah Lutheran over here. At Faith Christian Reformed Church on the other side. God this morning is at the golf course. True that. God is at the mall. God is at Costco today. God is at the soccer fields where all the kids are playing. God is everywhere all the time. And is not just limited to where we think he is or what he's doing. And that is both a positive and a negative thing. Right? That's the good news that no matter where we are, God is with us. And that's very comforting. But it's also kind of bad news when you think about it, right? That God is always with us. Oh, when I said that, oh, when I did that, when I was involved in that, or when I was there with that, God is always with us all the time. And there's sometimes that makes me just a little uncomfortable. But that's the reason that when we begin worship, we don't have to say, oh, God, be with us today. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to pray for God. God is here. What we need to do is to be open and ready to acknowledge that God is here and let God work in our hearts and minds. We don't have to ask him to be here. We don't have to beg him to be here. God is here. So the word of prayer is help us to be open to what God is doing. Help us to be open to what you want us to learn. To help us to be open to the power of your Holy Spirit. We don't have to beg God to be present. He's always there. You know, some of the phrases that we use, you know, and I'm not like the theological police, but some of them are just like, they're, they're not just, they're just bad theology. I mean, have you ever had something happen and someone said, and then God showed up? Think about that a second. And then God showed up. God was there. Now, God might have intervened. God might have acted. He might have done something miraculous at that moment. He might have he made himself, made you more aware of him. But he didn't show up. He's always there. Well, and then we had a God moment. Well, we always have a God moment. God is in every moment. It's just a matter of whether we're cognizant of the moments that God has. And God does do certain things and intervene at certain times. But God is always present and always with us. There is no differentiation in God's mind between what is the spiritual part of our life and what is the secular part of our life. Those are human inventions. You know, God is going to be present in Houston today when the Bears play there. Oh, I hope so. I just really hope so. (laughs) But he doesn't really care about football. God is omnipotent. God can do anything as long as it doesn't violate his nature. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for God. 
His power is unlimited and unrestricted except by his own choice. Another way to talk about God's omnipotence is this uh, reformed thing that we like to throw around a lot called God's sovereignty. God is the ultimate ruler of the universe. There is no disobedience in the world that can thwart God's purposes. From our perspective, we look at the world and go, this is completely out of control. God has vacated the building. He is no longer around. How can God be around when all those killings are taking place just east of here on a regular basis? How can God be around when there's people who are starving because they don't have enough food? How can God be around and let sex trafficking take place? How can God be sovereign and all that be happening? It doesn't make any sense. It's a great mystery. But for whatever reason, God chooses not to intervene in every situation. For reasons unknown to us and not revealed to us, those things take place. It's part of the mystery of God. God is immutable. God never changes. He's always the same. God isn't getting any better. God isn't getting any worse. All of God's attributes cannot be diminished. God doesn't grow and God doesn't increase. You and I grow. You and I become more mature. You and I know God more intimately. But God never changes. He's immutable. He is always the same. He's perfect the way he is. And we can rest assured that God is always going to be that way. God's not moody. God doesn't yank things away. God is always the same. And God is infinite. He's unlimited. Wherever God is, he is that to an infinite degree. He can't measure any part of him or his attributes. That's what it means when Isaiah writes that my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither my ways are your ways. We're finite thinkers, right? We're limited to time and space right here. God is in, there is no limit to God. So me trying to figure out why God doesn't intervene in the situation where I think you ought to intervene, I'm not going to really get my head around that because that's an infinite concept. I have my finite ideas about what should happen and how it should happen and why it should happen, but God has something infinite in mind. There's a reason he does everything and doesn't do some things. And we'll never get our head around that because he's infinite. Any thinking that we do about God is limited by our humanness. The Apostle Paul writes, we see in a mirror dimly. I mean, you know, I've got books and books and books on all my shelves in my office, and they're very thick books. They explain every theological concept about God and every doctrine, every creed that we have, everything that you need, because we always want to get a handle on God and put him in this look. We got God figured out now. I got all my stuff figured out. We never have God figured out. The more we know, the more we really realize what we don't know. Let me just share a couple more thoughts uh, about God's attributes. Again, you won't find these in theological categories. But God can be confusing. I mean, people make pronouncements about what God wants or what God is saying or what God is demanding. You know, and that always kind of makes me a little bit nervous. I've done some of that stuff myself. Oh, this is what God wants. And then you find out that he really wants something completely different. 
And the confusion is on our part, right? We're so dead certain this is exactly what's going to happen and exactly what God wants. But God loves to throw the curve. Pastor Steve Brown um, wrote a memoir about his time in ministry called What Was I Thinking? And that's one of my favorite titles. And in that book he writes, I used to think that I had God down. And now I realize that much of the time, all I am is confused. I mean, this is, this is kind of a pastoral disease. I mean, we kind of fall into that trap that we're supposed to have this down. We're supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to have all of the answers. You know, and I've assigned that to Greg. I don't know much. Steve Brown writes, does God confuse you? Have you ever been sure that, that God told you to do something or promise something only to find out that you were wrong, terribly wrong? Have you ever pontificated about God only to find out that you didn't speak from Sinai and then you had to eat crow because of it? Have you ever told someone that God told you to tell that person something and then found out that the person got into serious trouble because of what you told them? Have you ever thought that you had seen God only to find out that you were wrong? Have you ever answered questions about God, not because you knew all the answers, but because you simply had a glib tongue or were trying to cover your back by the idea that you had the answers? I mean, what he's pointing out is that God can be confusing, which is a synonym of mysterious. God is mysterious. And then finally, let me just say this. God is not loving That may be one of the biggest misnomers with which we live. God is not loving. Huh? The Bible doesn't say anywhere that God is loving. What the Bible does say is what we read. God is love. And there's a big difference between love and loving. If you don't think so, if you have children, ask them. Right? Because if you discipline them and tell them no about something... They're going to say, well, that wasn't very loving. And you're thinking, no, that's what love is really about. Sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you have to disappoint people. Sometimes you have to experience pain. All in the name of love. God is love and everything that he does and all of his dealings with everybody reflects the essence of what that love is all about. I mean, love is God's very nature. And God's love is universal. God loves all people and wants the best for the entire world, for every human being. Now, God doesn't love everything that we do, but he loves us as people in spite of what we do. And as painful and difficult as it might be for us to acknowledge on September 11, 2016, this fact, God loves the terrorists who took down the Twin Towers. He doesn't love what they did. He doesn't love the way they behave. But God loves those people. Because God is love and God's love is universal. And God's love is unconditional. There is no, I will love you if you do these four things with God's love. Jesus demonstrated the love of God 
by loving prostitutes and thieves and Pharisees and Romans Jews and God and you know, pay attention to Jesus ministry pay attention he always loved people first and then they changed he didn't say to the woman at the well well you know if you weren't just you know going through husbands you know like uh, changing clothes you know you then I would love you he said no I love you maybe you ought to think about changing woman caught in adultery you're forgiven I love you now think about changing. The change always came after the love. The love always came first. The love always comes first with Jesus. It's unconditional. If you don't think his love is unconditional, then go with me to the foot of the cross. And there you have the Roman soldiers and some Jewish leaders looking on for whom crucifixion isn't enough punishment for Jesus. They've got to add a little, right? A little more torture, a little more mockery, having fun at his expense while he hangs on the cross waiting to die. And what does Jesus say to those people? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's love that is universal and love that is unconditional. The kind of love that you and I need. And God always initiates. God loves to seek and restore our broken, broken relationship with him. And that's what Jesus is all about, right? We're distant from God and Jesus came and brought us together with him. God's love is a reconciling kind of love. And not only our relationship with him, but God wants to reconcile all relationships. The Apostle Paul writes that, 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 that we're given a ministry of reconciliation. That where there is brokenness and separation in people's lives, God wants to use us to be reconcilers. So what is God like? God is love. When we suffer, God suffers. When we're in pain, God's in pain. When we feel lonely, we are never alone. His love is not earned. His love is a free gift. Let me finish uh, by quoting Steve Brown one more time. He writes, I used to think that understanding God was the main thing. It's kind of a common human disease. And in reform circles, we really like to understand God. Give us more information. Let's write it all down. Let's categorize it. Let's put it in a system. Not that that's a bad thing, but we, 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 we elevate understanding God to the highest level of anything that we could have. But, he writes, understanding God isn't the most important thing. The main thing is being loved by him. And that I know. What is God really like? God is love. You are love. And that's a mystery. Will you pray with me, please? God in heaven, we thank you for your revelation, for showing us who you are, 
not only in word, but in and through the living word, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Help us, O Lord, to accept what we can't understand about you, to embrace you, to love you, and to be encouraged by you. Help us to know you. Not more about you, but to know you in the essence of who we are. And thank you for wanting to be known. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Just a couple of announcements before uh, we continue to worship with our tithes and offerings. Um, As I said before, there's a whole host of things that you can get involved in uh, to continue to grow in your faith that's listed in this brochure that's in your uh, worship folder this morning and encourage you to use that. One of the things that we promote here at Elmhurst Church is in a large congregation, you're always trying to build community in as many ways as you can. So small groups is a very important thing in the life of our church. It's a great way uh, to know other people and to grow in your faith. And so there's a table out in the lobby where you can sign up for small groups and also in a larger sense, in a greater sense, to build community just by being with one another and sharing in a meal. And so on Wednesday night, we have a community supper. Uh, There's a table out there to sign up for that as well. Um, And then I want to say something about the brochure that's in your folder about the God question series. All the questions that we're dealing with are listed there, the dates that we're going to address them. And then also on the credenzas in the back of the sanctuary and at the information center is a card uh, like this that advertises the God series. Um, I mentioned this last week, but you might not have been here. Um, When they survey unchurched people about why they don't go to church, you know what the number one reason is that people don't go to church? No one ever asked me. So what we're trying to do is provide an opportunity for people that you might know in your neighborhood, at work, wherever you uh, encounter others who might have God questions, just to let them know that we're dealing with this uh, on a regular basis. They can come. You can give them this card. It couldn't be easier for you. I might just give you one other suggestion, though, and that is, is that as comfortable as you may be when you pull into the parking lot and walk into the building, you know exactly what to expect. If you've never been here before, this place looks like a fortress, and it's really difficult for people who've never been here before to come inside. And so if you're going to invite somebody, tell them you'll meet them somewhere. Tell them you'll be there. Tell them you'll pick them up, whatever the case might be. It's, it's really showing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so let us now continue to worship uh, with our tithes and our offerings. <laughs> 